You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 102, Ricky Folger, Wild and Foraged. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick is joined by Colorado resident Ricky Folger. Ricky is an accomplished chef who desires to bring wild game and foraged food to the forefront. Armed with a culinary background, she launched the handle at Wild and Foraged, sharing recipes and her adventures. They talk about a shared pastime of disc golf, attempting bottom round burnt ends, and making a seasonal berry sauce that will elevate any steak dinner. Be ready to up your summer game with this episode of Huntable. Well, hey, folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. I'm sitting down here. I got my tumbler, although it's got nothing fun in it. It's got ice and water because, man, summer is here, and we got hit with some 90s. We got hit with some humidity. So enjoying the 4th of July with a little bit of stickiness as well. But at the same time, we are enjoying what we get. I feel like here in Michigan, we... We're very quick to be judgmental on the weather because it changes so much here. We get like maybe a few beautiful days and they get a little hot and all of a sudden we want to go back to the cold. But trust us, it's going to come back and then we're going to be begging for the warm temperatures again. But anyway, I I digress. It's been a good weekend. We've got uh, our 4th of July underway. That's all settled down. And I got a chance to sit down here with Ricky Folger. She is a chef. She's a business owner, author, hunter, man, you name it. She has done it in the wild food world. Ricky, thank you so much for just taking a moment and sitting down to have a chat. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. So Ricky, 
Um, before we get into the kitchen, we, we may have to take a step outside. And we don't even have to go to the wild places. We can go to a local park. We can go to uh, a green space. And we're going to talk a little bit about disc golf. I, I had asked the guys that I play with, how many, how many people do you think do the crossover between sportsmen, sportswomen, and being a disc golfer? And the, <laughs> the under was definitely like single digits. Everybody was saying, like, you are the only one that makes this correlation. But I <laughs> happened to run across you, and you happen to like to throw Frisbee. Am I right? I love it. It's such a great way to get out in nature and not drive a couple of hours to do so. Absolutely. We are blessed, here, at least here in Grand Rapids. I am within a stone's throw of probably four or five courses just in our immediate area that are worth the 20-minute drive or worth the 15-minute the drive. And then we've got some that are even worth the hour drive to go and get a chance to play Michigan is just inundated with these disc golf courses and what I really love about them is that yeah it can be a local park but I'm seeing guys and um, different townships make it in green spaces that they have that the amount of impact that they have to have on the environment to put this out there is almost next to nil because it's now it's just people walking around. I guess the biggest detriment would be then compaction of soil and, you know, the schmucks leaving their beer cans around, but you'd hope the next guy comes by and picks them up. But I just love that it really does tie into the environment. I don't think a lot of people miss these courses just because they blend in so well. They do. They really do. You know, I actually I have an app called UDisc where I can search my local area for courses. But you're totally right. The ones that I play at are right off the highway. And before I started this golfing, I had no idea why these people were just walking around, you know, in small groups. I'm like, what are they doing out there? So once I downloaded this app, it made just so much more sense. But the courses here in Colorado are also beautiful. There's quite a few within 20 25 minutes but there's a, a course up in evergreen that i think you have to pay 10 11 to play but it's 18 holes and just all through the mountains it's beautiful hey i'm cool with 10 i'm even cool with 20 because i feel yeah. like if i'm going to go to the country club and throw down for a cart i'm going to need some drinks i've got to you know we're going to be out there for nine or even the 18 you know i'm dropping 50 bucks easy just to do that and so this being a cheap option um it's been a, something too that i've introduced to my elementary students um doing this some of them don't have the chance to get into regular organized sport it's it's really kind of become like that pay to play thing it's hard to just be able to just jump in and try something and when money's tight you know to have something where Man, you just pick up a couple discs used for five, ten bucks, and then you can play anywhere. It just yeah, really the, hits it off with them. The buy-in is definitely a lot cheaper compared to the other outdoor sports here in Colorado. I mean, and even regular golf. I mean, you're spending hundreds of dollars on a board or, you know, 
uh, the passes here are extremely expensive as well. So, I mean, I bought my first set off of Amazon and they were probably the worst things I could ever buy to play disc golf, but you know, 15, $20 and, and you can play. Yes. So have you become uh, brand specific or do you throw any and all plastic? What's, what's um, your favorite disc? Right now, I think it's an, an Innova one. It, I go more for the the color and the beauty of the disc than the brand, at least right now. Um, I'm not brand specific yet. Once I get better, maybe that will change. But um, anything that I'm comfortable throwing and and that feels good, I'll I'll throw it. Um, I think between my boyfriend and I, we have probably ten discs at this point. So, gotcha. Yep, I'm with you. I'm I'm an Innova thrower myself. Um, Innova, Innova, however, you, however you say it. My favorite disc is it's a yellow eagle. It's a fairway driver. It was the very first style disc that I was given. Actually, my buddy was like, "Here, throw this because I think it sucks." But the thing <laughs> about yellow eagles is, I have I have owned four of them in my my disc golf career, but I've lost three of them. So the thing is that I find with Yellow Eagles is they find their way back. So I throw this disc, I lose it in the water, come to find out a guy on our campus, this was back in college, he finds it going through and he's like, hey, did, weren't you throwing a Yellow Eagle? And so it like found its way back to me. And so like in the progress of keeping losing Yellow Eagles, they keep coming back to me. So that's, that's why I keep bagging that one and yeah, it ends up being my favorite. The same thing actually just happened to me. I lost a disc and I had written my name and my phone number on it. And about a week later, I got a text with a picture of my disc. And I was like, oh my gosh, no way. Thank you. It was my absolute favorite one that I have. And that's another thing about the disc golf community is that everyone is really, really good about returning discs. As long as your number's on there, um, everyone's pretty, you know, they're nice enough to return it. Yes. Yes. They, they do a good job at that. I feel like this is the second major outdoor podcast that uh, has talked about disc golf. I, oh, get, no. I say they're the, <laughs> the outdoor being the uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. I, I, I think we had talked a little bit about this earlier that I, when I first heard Joe Rogan talking to Bert about disc and what the sport is and where you can go play, it really has like Bert has now been everywhere with it which is great wonderful it's good for the sport but at the same time i was also like oh no the secret is out it's out (laughs) we're gonna get inundated we're gonna have to get tea times we're gonna have to figure out how to you know wait at each hole were you excited to hear that ricky or were you also one of one of the people that were like bummed a little bit that the secret's out Very upset. Um, I mean, it, it's great. I'm glad that people are, are, you know, exercising and getting outside. But I just I don't want a tea time at all. You know, it's funny, though, is I when I go to courses that I think Bert would like, I tag him in it in my Instagram posts, hoping you'll see it because <laughs> I think he would be a great person to play with. But oh, we'll he would see. be a blast. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for going out on the course with me. Now we can bring it back into the kitchen, and I specifically want to talk about, um, first, 
I want to talk about Wild and Foraged. That is your website um, where you've been putting a lot of content in, both recipes, how-tos, um, things that you're working on. Tell us a little bit about Wild and Foraged. What are you looking to – what direction do you want this this uh, website to go? Well, I think with a lot of things, it was a, it was a pandemic project. Um, being stuck inside, it's it's hard to hang out with people, you know, kind of feel connected with people. Um, so I created Wild and Forge to just start letting people know what I was doing. Um, definitely a passion project. I recently started hunting. Um, I met a couple of people on Clubhouse, which I think we'll talk about in a second. It's such an amazing app. Um, but I want people to understand that hunting is more about going out and killing an animal. It's more about the food, the connection that you have to the outdoors and nature, but it's also about conservation. Hunters really truly do love the animals that they hunt. They want those outdoor spaces to stay pristine and natural. Um, and so it's been a lot more about education as well. Um, for me, specifically um, learning about how do you apply for tags? Where does that money go towards? What happens when you buy a firearm? And, you know, where do those, those taxes go for as well as EMO? Um, and a lot of cooking. Um, I've been very fortunate to introduce a lot of my friends and family to Wild Game through this project, which has been fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Being able to do, you know, just even like cut specific stuff like, man, what do you do with a shank? And to be able to say like, well, here's three recipes that I do and be able to do that on there. That's that's such a great way for even, you know, at, at the point, granted, you started with a background in the culinary, so you kind of had an idea. But I feel like even sportsmen, whether it's anglers or hunters, we we're handed two recipes and they come from, they, specific for the backstrap and ground meat. And at that point, we we start to get a little bit uh, nervous about the rest of the cuts. Shoot, what do I want to do? What What is there to do? And to have somebody influence us and to have somebody give us some inspiration is definitely, I think, a good thing. Yeah, and also utilizing the whole animal. I mean, shanks are one of, they're not like a super hard cut of meat to cook, but it does require a little bit of know-how in order to get them super tender. And, and then what do you do with it? And um, some of the other parts like organs or skin, even depending on the animal, there's just so much there to utilize. So that that's another project that I'm working on as well is like those parts that maybe get thrown out, you know, don't throw those out. There's something, something can be done with those. Absolutely, I think of uh, wings and uh, you know wings and legs of, of uh, waterfowl. I it how much how much le- how many leg quarters how many wing quarters get left in the field? Not because I don't think uh, waterfowlers are lazy by any means. They put in a lot of work and they do an amazing job with the breast meat that they do take off those animals. But I feel like, man, there is a diamond that is just laying right there in both those thighs and drums of uh, of waterfowl. I mean, you know, I, yeah, wood duck, they're going to be super small. You got to get yourself a nice big fat mallard. But, man, that's just great, luscious dark meat that I think I think needs to be overutilized. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, even if some things do get left out in the field, it all goes back to nature. Something will eat it and prosper from it. So it's not completely a lose-lose. But if you can bring it home, I highly recommend that you do. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, you said you were recently getting into hunting. Which came first, the kitchen knife or the shotgun? What? Where did uh, you start? <laughs> Definitely in the kitchen. Um, my story is a bit backwards, I would say. I've been in the restaurant industry for about 14 years now, which is scary to think about. But I started in the friend of house. So I my main focus was on wine. Um, I'm a sommelier. I grew up in Napa, so it's hard not to be into wine. But um, I decided to go back to school to become a nutritionist. And I had skipped college. I thought that I found my passion. And I decided, you know, maybe this isn't exactly what I want to do. So I went to Johnson and Wales and I was going to get a bachelor's in nutrition. They had closed my campus um, during the pandemic two years into my degree. So I ended up with a culinary degree, which was a blessing um, in disguise, but I was quite mad about it when it happened. So with this culinary degree, I was like, well, crap, what am I going to do with it? So during the pandemic, I um, really, really got into hunting. It has always been something that I was interested in. Um, My parents didn't hunt. My grandfather hunted a bit, um, but he passed when I was really little. So I never, never got to experience that with him. Um, And if you're not, if you're not raised in, in the hunting culture, it is so hard to break into it. Um, especially a girl from California, no one really takes you seriously when you're like, I want to go out and I want to go outside and hunt and do all this stuff. And you're like, haha, okay, yeah, sure. Um, which is where Clubhouse um, came into the picture. So Clubhouse was, it was huge, huge during the pandemic when people were still working from home for the most part. Uh, no one was really going outside. It's just hard to meet people. So it's an audio only app where you, you have a bio and you just go into these rooms and you start talking to people. And I was fortunate enough to land in a room where I was connected with another wild game chef based out of uh, Louisiana and things just started rolling from there, which it's quite weird to think about now because, you know, growing up, your parents, the only thing that they say about the internet is don't talk to strangers online. Don't, you know, tell anyone about what you want. (laughs) You know, don't give them any information about yourself, but that is precisely what I did. And it has just been tremendous. So I met um, three gentlemen uh, from different parts of the U.S. uh, and they invited me on my very first hunt ever. Uh, So we went turkey hunting in Nebraska. And when I was driving over there, I was like, "Okay, I don't know. I've never met these people in person, but I've been talking to them for a year online let's hope this goes well. (laughs) But it was, I mean, they were just fantastic. They're some of my, you know, really, really great friends and we still keep in contact. And it was just such a a unique, odd and an amazing experience. That really is a wonderful story of, yeah, going against your parents' will of don't talk to people on the internet. Here we are. Yeah, I had I called up this girl in Colorado to have a recorded phone conversation ten years ago. I don't think that was a thing. Like <laughs> nobody You'd did be this like, stuff. What? 
<laughs> but yes, now like you're like, okay, listen, I just met these guys. We're going to talk for a while, and now I'm going to go on a turkey hunt. And man, get your feet wet into the sports, the, the sportsman's lifestyle. What were your impressions at that point? Was it one of those things like it? everything just got real exciting because, yeah, we're getting up early. We're, we're trying to put ourselves in this spot. Or was it just more of like a more of a little bit of a shock at that point? Like, what are we doing? We're sitting out here in the dark. Like, we're expecting these animals to just walk by? It, so I had grown up in the outdoors. Um, I was just an outside barefooted kid my whole life. So being out in nature wasn't so much of an issue at all. It was just, I was in awe the entire time. It was just the greatest experience ever. Um, you know, I got along with everyone really well. Getting up early was fantastic because you get to experience nature in a completely different way than if you were to go hiking in the middle of the day, you're watching the world wake up or you're watching the world go to bed. And it, it was just incredible. So cool. So cool. So you, did you bag a bird? I did. I did. Um, we all did actually. Um, except for the gentleman who was guiding us around. He didn't, but he lives in Nebraska, so he can go back out whenever he wants to. But, uh, yeah, I, on the second day, I bagged my bird. And it was early in the morning, and it just couldn't have been more perfect. First dish that you made off that bird, do you remember it? I do. I did uh, carnitas tacos with the legs, um, and then which was so much fun. Um, I made stock out of the bones as well. So I used a bit of that in my dish <clears throat> and I had brought home this bird and I was like, I, I just, I am still savoring it. I have one breast left and I'm like, I don't know what I want to do with it just because it's so <laughs> special to me. Um, I, I still don't know what I'm going to do with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, you can, you can go get another one. Nothing's I stopping you from getting another one. I can't. Well, this year I had planned to go out um, and I had gotten the AOK from work and I bought my tags and, you know, got everything ready. And then they revoked that AOK. Oh. So I was not able to go. <laughs> so next year, though. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm working on that myself. Um, I got drawn for a Montana tag. So I'm going to go chase elk here in September with uh, archery equipment. Super excited for that. And it happens to fall, yeah, right in the first couple weeks of school. So I'm already like on the search for who are my subs going to be for that week? Like, see if I can't line them up here in the summer and be like, listen, you got to show up because I won't even be here. Right, right. Um, so yeah, something actually I was working on it and I threw it on my story and I, maybe I need to bounce this off you to help out with a little bit of my presentation. So if you follow along, uh, with the Huntivore on, uh, Instagram folks, I was trying to do burnt ends off of a bottom round off of a white tailed deer. So I had this bottom round whole piece and... I was going to use it for pastrami. We had a gathering that we were going to do with some folks. They really liked the pastrami that I make, so that's what I was going to end up trying to do. Um, that fell through, and I just kind of was like, oh. So then I wasn't thinking about making the pastrami. 
and a couple days go by, and then I happen to see it there still sitting in the fridge, now thawed out completely, like, shoot, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And we were having friends, other friends over, and so I thought, you know what? Somebody was talking to me about burnt ends the other day. Let's let's see if we can't do venison burnt ends. I know I was already had a lot going against me, being how lean that specific cut can be. There's not a lot of uh, fat integration in there, and I had cleaned up everything on the outside of it. But I ended up um, putting a dry rub on it and let it sit in the, the fridge for a couple hours. Just a quick dry brine, really kind of um, take the moisture off the, the outside piece of the meat, kind of draw out some of that inside moisture get that so, uh, to get the uh, salt to work down in. Pulled it out, and then I went to the smoker, and I brought it up to like 130. So it was right there about medium doneness. At that point, I wrapped it in, well, I took slabs of butter, put that on there, and then I also glazed the whole thing with a really, like, high sugary uh, barbecue sauce. Wrapped it in parchment paper, wrapped that in foil to try and hold everything in. I had it really tightly packaged together. Back into the smoker, because it was still sitting at right around 230 and I thought, let's just go let it roll, and we'll see how it comes out here in a little bit. I'll just keep kind of watching the temperature, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I ended up pulling it out at, I think, 160. And it still felt very—it was not dried out by any means. It was still real pliable. And unwrapped it and took that end piece off just to try it out, and it really was still moist. Let it rest there for a while. I was like, this is going to turn out good. I feel like things are going well. I then ended up cubing it to make it look like the burnt end cubes. Tossed it in some more sauce, and then I wanted to stick it in the broiler to see if I couldn't just get that sugary sauce to caramelize up, to really kind of add the burnt ends into it. And I opened it up a couple minutes later, and I, re- I had burned that sugary syrup on the, on the uh, vessel, on the little dish that I had there, but nothing had changed on the meat. Um, but then at that point, I was like, shoot, I don't dare keep this in. I'm kind of like saying, all right, fold. I'm, I'm calling it quits. Pulled it out, and I was a little disappointed in the amount of char that I got on that, even with the barbecue sauce. But at the same time, folks ate it up. They enjoyed it. They loved it. Um, But I was like, man, I should have sliced it. I shouldn't have cubed it. If I'm trying to candy something, kind of like a candied piece of bacon, where did I go wrong in there, Ricky? Do you have any tips on how to better get like a crust or a candied layer, especially when you're using like a sugar uh, syrup on a piece of meat? Mm-hmm. You know, barbecue is something that I am starting to get into. I've lived in an apartment with no barbecue access or space to do so um, for a couple of years. But in some of the videos that I've watched while it's cooking, before you wrap it, um, if you start spraying the meat down with water and, and stock um, every 30, maybe 45 minutes or when the meat starts looking dry, um, they say that that helps kind of that outer layer to form a crust. 
Um, but that's the only advice that I have for you because I'm still learning that myself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't do any spritzing. I just I rolled it up in the package, and I thought, you know what? If I don't open it up, nothing's, and nothing comes out, then I know it's still in there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah, maybe I should have spritzed it a little bit. I've heard also vinegar does really well, where you do uh, like a solution between vinegar and stock or even um, mm-hmm. something along like that with a little acidic uh, tang to it. I think that was supposed to help. And had you did you cube it before you started to cook it or after? It was after the initial cook, the after initial slow cook. Um, I rested it and then I cubed it, and then that's where I wanted to then add uh, the crust. I thought that if I were to basically like I now just dunked these in that barbecue sauce, that the barbecue sauce would start to char. And then it would be like those little blackened pieces that I was hoping to go for. But I'm thinking it got diluted too much, the sauce did. And I think the meat was also still, I think it was still moist enough that it wasn't allowing the char to happen. I think it was just (laughs) cooking itself longer. I'm wondering also if you cube it before you start to cook it, you have more surface area on the outside. Um, Or possibly the temperature maybe wasn't high enough who knows (laughs) (laughs) it's good to it's good to bounce this off somebody who at least like has a culinary understanding because yeah now i'm like looking back like all right i know where i know where my flavors were at my flavors were on point it was just how it came out so maybe i have to add some more sugar and then yeah maybe i need to maybe i just need to toughen up and say nick you said you wanted burnt ends burn them you said you were gonna burn them (laughs) burn them When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifled barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit Tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes. And use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. What are you working on right now? I know you came out with a couple things online. You were doing um, pickles the last time I saw on your story. You were doing... Now, were those... uh, um, Did you end up canning, like traditional canning, those dill pickles that you were making? Or were those more of the refrigerator style where when you you ended up going through and cutting up all these uh ingredients stuffing them into the jar did that just go right into the fridge and do like the fridge style pickles right to the fridge i go through pickles so fast um i had only 
uh, I only had a pound of cucumbers to pickle this go around. Um, but the next time I go to the farmer's market, I'll buy a lot more and then I will start to can. Um, canning, it's weird. In culinary school, they teach you all of these techniques. Everything has to be very clean and, and proper. Um, but when you're cooking at home, all of those things just go out the window, you know, when it comes to fermenting and, and pickling and, and stuff like that. Um, so canning is something that I'm getting into as well. Um, and trusting myself that it's going to go right and be shelf stable and, and all that. So that is a big project for me this summer going into the fall, um, just preserving all of these fresh veggies and getting to enjoy them when they're not in season. Yes, yes, because everybody that's got a garden will know in the next couple months, if you if you put everything into once, if you didn't stagger anything, you are going to get your harvest all in a couple weeks, and you're going to be making so many things. If you planted more than two cucumber plants, you are going to be inundated with cucumbers here very soon. Our big thing is what we did a couple years ago is we did zucchini, and I didn't realize that you can get, like, so many zucchinis off one plant and the fact that they're also massive i i can i have not grown zucchinis in probably 8 years granted we haven't had a garden for a couple here now but at the same time like i have no desire to grow zucchinis because of how much zucchini that i ate when i <laughs> when i put in those five plants i tell you right. what it was incredible the bounty you get yeah um Definitely. There are things that I will not eat probably for the next couple of years. Just it's like, well, oh, I bought too much of that. I'm so over it. Uh, but that also requires you to get creative. I mean, there's zucchini bread. You can, you know, grate it into pasta sauce. You can definitely disguise it from yourself. <laughs> Question I wanted to throw out to you as well. Someone who is in the culinary world, someone who is also looking to really get the best quality that you can get. Like here you are, you're, you're going after wild meat, you're going and you're foraging uh, for things that are wild. Talk to me about impossible meat. Like I know that I don't think there's going to be too many vegans that are going to be tuning in to the huntivore. There might be a couple. But at the same time, like I feel like this is a good discussion not only with us but at the same time uh, vegans need to be having as well is this idea of factory fake meat a good thing or a bad thing I guess I, I just don't quite understand if you're adamantly against eating meat you know the whole shebang why would you try to make something into the thing that you don't want to eat? <laughs> that part is confusing to me. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever understand that, but I just, it's so highly processed. Um, I went and looked at a package the other day just to read the ingredients. And I was like, what is this stuff? It's all just, it just seems like chemicals to me. So, you know, if, if that's your thing, more power to you, but I just, I won't eat it. Um, you know, the, the farthest I'll go is, you know, a black bean burger or something like that. I, I actually grew up, um, Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not 
sure if you know what that is, but they are uh, vegans predominantly. And I ate so much fake meat growing up <laughs> that I am absolutely tired of it. Um, but yeah, again, with just the processed foods, I just don't know if it's actually that healthy for you. Yeah, especially with like the the health aspect the, from the folks that I know that they've said, "Hey, I'm I'm not choosing to I'm not eating meat," um, and one of those reasons is the health benefits that they that that they say that they're getting from that. And to that, I agree. And I even see them steer away from a lot of the highly processed uh, items that are out there, like the impossible meat, they have found, uh, like you said, black bean burgers. Great alternative if you want a burger. Like smashing a bunch of black beans together, it holds together really nice. You can have a portobello burger. Like using those amazing pieces of fungi, like that's right up a vegan's alley right there. Like that is a great substitute. Like I even understand, I can put my mind around tofu. Even that I know mm -hmm. it's a it's a soybean product, like and it's soybean through and through. But to yes, like you said, you look at that label and it's just chemical after process after process after this filler after you know this chemical agent. Like holy smokes, how is it even food anymore? I know people can say that you can eat, you can cook your crock and eat your crock. Like we are right at the same level, I feel, when it comes to the impossible meat. I would agree with you there. I mean, I, I would love to talk to someone who is 100% for impossible meat just to pick their brain and and understand where where they're coming from. I think that would be interesting. Because, I yeah, it's... Not everybody has to have meat. I get it. Here I am on a on a hunting podcast talking about how we need to use our our animals more, but at the same time, I do understand that there's there's the things on both sides of the fences. And when it comes to foraging, I know it's that's the same thing um, as far as taking a life, even on the animal world. For the floral world, like you got to understand how much you can take at one time. You can't just go through and clean out a whole growth area of like ramps. Um, and it is, it is a little more difficult to just live on vegetables. There's a lot, I mean, you got to really diversify yourself when it comes to that. You're going to need more than what you're going to get, than you're going to need from having meat. So I understand some of that stuff, but yeah, when they come back with, well, it's cause it's healthier, but then one of the items that you use is impossible meats. Like, eh, I don't, I don't think it's about health anymore. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. Doing kind of a, of a hard transition here. Besides that turkey, what else have you been able to chase or what other meats have you been able to, to work with? I know my big exclusive one, I don't want to say exclusive, I'm trying to broaden my horizons, but whitetail. Whitetail is the big thing here in Michigan, and it's kind of my thing that I'm always kind of like settling back to. Uh, you know, turkey's right in there as well. Um, I'm a big uh, panfish guy. I love bluegill. I love uh, sunfish. I love crappies. Um, and that's kind of like my wheelhouse. Where have you expanded, even in your early on uh, life as a hunter? You know, we've, we've talked about turkey. What else have you been able to chase? 
I have gone elk hunting, um, which was really incredible. It was a group of women, uh, women's only hunt <clears throat> for, for newer hunters put on through the Colorado backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, we were not successful, but it was still an amazing time. I flew out to visit my friend who lives in Louisiana and we went frogging, which was also an incredible, completely new experience for me. Uh, we were trying to go uh, hog hunting as well, but they just weren't out. And as everyone knows, you're not guaranteed to get anything just because you're out there. Uh, <laughs> there were a couple of other experiences that kind of uh, just went out the window due to COVID. But I uh, was gifted a lot of venison from one of my friends who lives in Nebraska. Um, so I've been working with that. I uh, had an elk rib roast that I cooked uh, yesterday for 4th of July, which was so tasty. That was great. Um, but I've also ordered a lot of venison from Hawaii. So it's Axis deer. And the company is called Maui Nui, I believe. But they are a mobile slaughterhouse, essentially. So they'll go through and Axis deer is an invasive, uh, invasive species in Hawaii. And they figured out a way to sell it to concern, uh, consumers, which it's basically an Axis deer butcher box. So when I'm getting low on venison, I will order a box from them so I can still work on it and, and experiment and stuff like that. And Axis deer is so mild, even my sister will eat it, and she is super against eating wild game. Wow, that's so cool. So they've, like, a, like so when you call up, and order your Hawaii Axis Deer Butcher Box. What what are you getting? Are you getting processed cuts in that? Or are you getting quarters? Or can you process everything's it, processed? Everything's so processed. they give you and you when I have been ordering it, I think now you can kind of pick and choose what you want in your box, but whenever I have ordered it, I have no idea what's coming. They are also working on being able to send organ meat as well, which I'm super excited about. Uh, but as of right now, you know, you'll get leg medallions, you'll get shanks, you'll get loin um, and ground meat as well. Gotcha. Jumping on that organ question there. What's your favorite organ? That is a great question. Um, I, when I cook with it, I try to disguise it as much as possible. Um, what I've been successful with is liver a lot of the times, just, you know, utilizing that in ground, ground dishes, ground meat dishes. I actually have two venison hearts in my freezer right now that I am a little intimidated by. Um, but I'll let you know what I end up doing with those when I figure it out. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Heart is our big, uh, deer camp. We do tacos with the hearts, um, they'll through archery season uh whoever gets deer they hand their heart over to me and then i keep i keep the stockpile and what i'll end up doing is flatten them or uh, opening them up cleaning out the inside and the outside and marinating those in a you know kind of a taco seasoning that i just make make up i know it's got cumin uh, a couple guys really like like hot and spicy so um a lot of chili a lot of like um cayenne pepper goes into that and then i hit it with some lime uh and oil and just let that marinate for overnight and when we do our like big get together near the end of the season um we'll end up 
getting a hot plate out, you just sear that kind of like you would for uh, asada. Like instead of carne asada, it's <laughs> heart asada. And we <laughs> slice that real thin. And, man, we, we walk away way more full than we should be. We really put those things down. But I we really enjoy heart because it can be super versatile, whether it's you serving it, you know, like we are, I mean, slightly raw. I don't want to say raw, slightly rare uh, in our case. But then there's even other, like, smoke dishes that you can do with with heart they're they kind of run the gamut so no that'll be fun and exciting for you to try those out i'm excited uh tacos are my absolute jam so maybe i'll, I'll steal your idea for my first go it, you can hide it in there and you know when just add a little more hot sauce if you're not really into the flavor at that point you know just like <laughs> just like with any taco <laughs> well hey i think we've come here to the crescendo of our episode we are here at the two-dish breakdown. Okay, this is it. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked just a little? no question. You hungry? Hey, Ma! Can we get some meatloaf? We're Jim DeBucci and Skewer DeBucci. Come on, get it! What this is, Ricky, is I'm going to give you two questions. And you need to then describe the dish. You got to tell me what you're gonna, what animal you're gonna use, uh, what cut it's gonna be, and really just kind of lay out what that dish is gonna be, so we get a good idea of uh, of what you're gonna make. So, are you are you ready for these two questions? I am ready. Okay, first one's always a softball, so you're getting ready. You're gonna hit this one pretty good. I want you to take a piece of venison. And I want you to elevate it as if it was something you were going to put on a menu at one of your restaurants. What mm-hmm. would you be doing? Well, if it is for a restaurant, you want some of those, you know, all-star cuts. So let's go with a piece of loin here. Um, cast iron pans are my all-time go-to. So I'll roast that with a little bit of butter and maybe some thyme and other herbs get it to a nice medium rare. I'm also really in love right now with berry sauces for wild game meats. So let's go with a a blueberry sauce here with, I'll cook down some venison stock, add some more herbs and other spices, and then cook down some blueberries as well. So it's a really nice creamy texture as well. And since we're on a a blue and purplish, run here i'll add some roasted purple potatoes as well Mm. i think that would really be quite delicious i like it i like it a lot so when you're doing your berry sauce these are are these frozen blueberries that you're using these are fresh blueberries how are we going to make a berry sauce walk us through that i try to use fresh when i can get it but you know sometimes you just can't get what you want So what I do is I start cooking down those blueberries and generally there's a lot of natural sugars in the dish. You don't need to add any extra sweetness. Um, If you do, maybe some maple syrup, stew that down. Am I squashing these berries at this point? They'll generally squash themselves once you start cooking them. Okay, so I'm literally just throwing berries in a pot, turn on the heat. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Add some stock in that as well. Whatever herbs I'm using for the venison, you can add those into the sauces as well. I really like blueberries and thyme. Blueberry and rosemary works really well as well. Um, So just 
once those blueberries are cooked down, just add some of your liquids and they'll also start to, to simmer and reduce down. So it's a thicker consistency. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was just like, how do, how do I go from berry to sauce? That was one thing I wanted to make <laughs> sure that we covered. Yeah. When you're stirring them around, once they, once the juices start to, you know, break down as well, it, they'll break themselves down. It's almost, I mean, essentially we're also creating an unsweetened jam. So we're going to be starting to talk about pectin here as, as that heats up, that's going to start to release. And as you know, you, it might be a little runny there for a second, but you give it a chance to tick down two degrees and that stuff's going to firm up real quick. It will. Yeah. My only concern is you don't want a, a super gloopy sauce. You want it to, to still have a nice run to it. Good, good. So that's where the, the uh, like you said, the stock and the liquid's going to go back in there just to give it that consistency. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, that's good. The boys have been really picking the blackberries. They are coming on strong right now. I think I've got it figured out what we're going to eat tomorrow. I think we're going with that recipe right there. That sounds <laughs> awesome. All right. This second one does come with a little more weight. So have you heard of the Lone Star Tick? I absolutely have with its really terrible alpha-gal syndrome. That's what it's called. I, 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 was, I was writing the question. I was like, what is it called? It's the alpha-gal. <laughs> That's yeah. what it's called. I called it just the red meat allergy. <laughs> that's that's what I came up for my question. <laughs> but actually, they found one here in Michigan, in Kalamazoo, two counties um, away. They had yeah. a, I, I don't know if it's one specimen or they had several specimens, but they did find them there. I'm hoping it was like a, like a one and done. I'm hoping maybe it doesn't take off. So it's it's feeling close to home to me. Are they in Colorado? Are they are they close to home to you? I don't believe so. Um, I think they're starting to get close, but I haven't heard any reports of them yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, hey, in this scenario, unfortunately, Ricky, you've been bitten, and the alpha gal sets in the next day. You've got twenty four hours. You have one more opportunity to eat red meat. What do you want, and how do you want it? That is my question. I would love to try bear meat. That is, it's my dream hunt. Um, I've heard the meat is spectacular. I have not had the chance to work with it yet, um, but I think if I have 24 hours, I'm going to fly myself somewhere and get me some bear meat. I feel if there should be a hotline someplace that if anybody gets bit by the Lone Star, like they just like sound the alarm and then like <laughs> what whatever they need, we just got to get it to them. We got to get it to them fast. Oh, well, hey, we might have a good idea there if it gets to be more prevalent in our areas. So you get the bear. What do you want made with bear? That is a great question. I would like a dish first that really showcases the flavor of the meat. I want to try it, see what else it can go well with. You know, just because I can't eat it doesn't mean that I can't prepare it for someone else. So getting go. to know what that meat tastes like. And then whoever has experience with that, um, have them cook me a fantastic dish. I, I don't know 
I mean, the possibilities are endless. I know one thing, and this, I don't know if I would be able to eat this or not if I had alpha-gal syndrome, but utilizing the bare fat in, in like a biscuit recipe or something. I heard the fat is just absolutely incredible. Bare biscuits, I think, is high, mm-hmm. high on everybody's list. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, how bad is the reaction from the alpha gal? I'm sure somebody's going to tell me, like, don't even don't even mess around with it. It's so bad you can't handle it. But, like, if it's just an upset stomach for, like, a week, like, I feel like I would I would be very choosy. I'd be like, you know what? This, this dish seems like it's worth it, that I'm going to be upset right. for the next week. But, again, I don't know the ramifications of what I'm talking about, I guess. Just listen to a podcast where they, I can't remember who did this and I'm kicking myself for it, but they had a tick expert on. And a lot of times when you have alpha-gal syndrome, most people don't even know that they have it. Um, The symptoms are different in a lot of people. Some people it's very mild. Some people like they absolutely can't eat it at all. So... Gotcha. Well, just hope and pray for the mild, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Ricky, this has just been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for just taking a, uh, an hour out of your evening. This has been so much fun. Where can my listeners connect with you? I know you've got a lot of venues here. you got your website we just talked about. Um, I know you're on social medias. Um, I think I, I want you to lay out where, I, where we can find you on Clubhouse as well. Um, but where can, uh, where can my people engage with you? I am for the most part on Instagram right now, um, at wild underscore and underscore foraged underscore. I know that's a tongue twister. Someone has at wild and foraged. It's a, like a plant company and I message them cause they don't use their Instagram, um, to see if I can snag that, uh, username from them, but they have not reached back out to me. Oh, bummer. So, <laughs> but I'm also on TikTok, um, same uh, same username, uh, and then my website, wildandforage.com, which will be relaunching here in the next couple of weeks. I uh, will also be creating a YouTube channel for longer video content as well, uh, but right now mainly Instagram. Well, perfect, perfect. Well, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of followers coming on over and checking you out, Ricky. You've got a great presence there, and it's just fun to see all the things that you're coming up with there. So why don't you hold on just a second, Ricky? I'm going to let uh, our listeners on out. Folks, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Man, we kind of took a lot of tangents. We talked first on disc golf and just getting outside and doing things recreationally. It's kind of one of those underground sports that I feel is starting to pull away from its stoner roots and getting over to folks that are just enjoying the outdoors. We even took a tangent into talking about uh, impossible meat, how it seems too good to be true that you're creating a quality piece out of uh, a factory, a quality piece of meat out of a factory like that. And we really got in deep when it came to what are we going to do with a piece of venison to elevate it taking what's fresh and then adding that into your disc creating a berry sauce yes that i think is going to be a true takeaway from this episode so folks whether it's you are messing around with barbecuing and trying to get a char like myself or whether you're taking things to an elevated scale whatever knife you're using make sure that knife is always sharp